Welcome everybody to Soundtrack Showdown, a monthly podcast where we hit two soundtracks against each other and then choose an overall winner. So Tristan, are you excited about our episode this month? Oh, I absolutely am. I think I think this is going to be one of our really special episodes, actually. I think this is going to be quite dramatic and... Legendary, even. Very legendary. <laughs> I think it's definitely going to be a lot of um, heads butting, as they say. Yeah, I can believe that. It's only because for the first time we have two soundtracks for one film, but they're so different. And because of our musical backgrounds, because you're more classically, um, you come from that classical experience and background. I come from more electronic background. So it's kind of like a great way for us to try and defend our camp and to see which one is going to be better. Interesting. Interesting. Our audiences are probably wondering, like, what is this film that we're going to be talking about for this month's episode? So, without further ado, it is Ridley Scott's 1985 Legend. And the two soundtracks that we're going to be discussing are Tangerine Dreams version... versus the original soundtrack, Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, so Jerry Goldsmith was the original composer on the film. But apparently after a disappointing test screening, one of the presidents of MCA um, felt that Jerry Goldsmith would not appeal to the youth, apparently, mm. and decided, um, asked Scott, Ridley Scott, to actually commission another act or score. composer to, yeah, to get a new score in. And so Tangerine Dream were, contra- uh, were contracted to complete a new, more contemporary score. Um, and actually, they composed it all in three weeks. Um, yeah. And... Um, Apparently, until 2002, only European audiences could see Legend with Jerry Goldsmith's score, whereas everybody yeah. else would be seeing the Tangerine version, including myself, back in Russia. Because <laughs> uh, that's what I remember it mainly by. Because I, no, I've only just recently saw the Jerry Goldsmith score for this podcast. So, I mean, the reason why we wound up doing this is, I think we mentioned this briefly last week, is that we were looking at doing... Uh, Legend versus Tristan and Isolde but then when we realised this whole two version business with Legend we were like okay well that's that's too perfect how often do you get to compare a single film that literally has two scores mm. uh, and we were able to watch the I think the director's cut and um, theatrical version which whilst there's some slight differences in the cuts they're basically the same scenes in the same order so it's a really great way to be able to, to compare the two to the two films but just trying to find both versions around the place, like sort of buying them from 
you know, Amazon or streaming services or whatever, when you look at the comments, like people are desperately trying to find their particular version with their particular score. Like there is very strong feeling on both sides here. People who just absolutely swear that the other other score just ruins the film for them. It's literally it's battle. Ways. It is literally battle of the scores. Yeah, it is, and. Yeah, so when people are trying to find a version, it's the score that they're that they're looking for. So it is interesting of just how big a difference it makes. And I don't know, I'm sure you would have seen this, the same sort of comments that I was looking at. Did you also get the vibe that more or less people swear by the first version they saw? Yes. The, the first version that they grew up watching because yeah. it kind of exudes a sort of a nostalgic feeling, which... Mm-hmm. It is something that I've completely felt growing up and watching this film. So when I was trying to find the Tangerine Dream, which is actually near impossible to find it on it's the... It's a harder one now, you yeah. You can't. It's, it's nowhere on the streaming. And you're, the only way you'll be able to find the Tangerine Dream version is like you did, which, where you buy a Blu-ray, um, which contains yes. both the directors and the theatrical. Um but even when you try and buy a DVD, um, I saw on eBay they were selling the, with the Chandrine Dream soundtrack for about forty pounds, close to like wow. going from forty to a hundred pounds. And it's Gosh. it's not, and it's only on Region One as well, which is saying is the American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, American Canada. Yeah. So it's it kind of almost makes it then feel like you know when something's really hard to get it kind of adds mm-hmm. value more value to yeah. it <laughs> it's a collector's item yeah. yeah um so for me i was really disappointed because i desperately was trying to find the tangerine version and every time i because i felt when i did watch the jerry goldsmith like which we'll go further into what we talk about then it just it just it, it left me cold. Ah, uh, that's that's what I've I, I saw everyone say um, in 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 the various comments around the place. The the comment I never saw was, oh, I used to I really love this film with Jerry's Tangerine whatever score, but now I've heard it with the other version. Oh my god, I love it so much more. I literally never saw that. It was always, you know, I desperately need to find this version because yeah. it has to be how I remember. Which. I think pro- I mean probably says as much to the the power of nostalgia. Like anyone who's going back to watch a thirty year old fantasy film, I guess is wanting to enjoy nostalgia. So if you then change it on them, then that's not the point. That's not what they were there for. You're not watching it for a new story, particularly not if you've already seen it. It almost you feel like the the new updated version is like an imposter. Yeah. But this is why I think for you, because you're like a <laughs> blank. I never saw it when I was little. <laughs> exactly, you're more of a blank slate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm really intrigued to know what you think, um, having ah. listened to these two soundtracks and watched those two films. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think I don't know how I missed this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like I liked fantasy stuff growing up. I mean, for both of us, this film came out like before we were sentient, basically. Mm. Like we we can't remember 1985. It's too, it's too early for us. I'm a little bit older than you, but it's still too young. Mm. But like, it's not like I haven't seen other movies that you know came out too early. Like ET, for example, was what 1982. So again, we both must have seen that at some point. Yeah, but wait, 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 Tristan, you have seen Never Ending Story, right? Oh yeah, no, I was a Never Ending Story guy. Like I really liked Never Ending. Story. I can't remember a. Th- thing about it anymore <laughs> but i do remember like vividly going to see it the th- first three films that i can rem- that i have any sort of memory of of seeing uh 
Bambi, which I'm pretty sure I only saw 15 minutes of before I started crying and had to leave. Oh. Never Ending Story and uh, The Little Mermaid. Those are the first three films that I can like remember going off to see as a, as a kid. Interesting. So Legend, I guess, must be one of your early films that you can remember? It's one of many. I mean, in Russia, we they tended to show films almost five to ten years later in some ways. Oh, okay, in, in the cinema? Not exactly, exactly in the cinema, but we were always like a few years behind um, sure. the Western world of being shown a lot of um, yeah. mainstream films. Because you were seeing them dubbed into Russian. Yes, exactly. So it would take a little while to do all of that. And- yeah. I just remember the scene when the darkness reveals himself. And it's usually, well, it's primarily before the dance when Lily's uh-huh. dancing with this beautiful, dark, sort of dressed dressed demon, yeah. yeah, and then she get, and then obviously she takes on the dress herself, and then she's admiring herself on the mirror, and then the next you have this big reveal of mm. Tim Curry's darkness coming through, just basically the devil. And I just remember vividly seeing, like, oh my god, this devil incarnate, and that mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. quite shocking for me to see as a child but um, mm. there's I mean I remember films like Batman Batman Returns yep. of course, <laughs> watching as of a course. child um, funny enough Little Mermaid yes as well a lot of Disney mm-hmm. films um, oh that's something I have to think about I mean but also a lot of Japanese anime primarily sure 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 that's what I remember from my sort of childhood well, on the first things first, we will t- all t- we'll talk about the rounds, shall yes, we? Yes, we should. We should actually get on with the episode <laughs> after that little uh, little trip down memory lane. But this is this is a nostalgia trip for you, so I think it's important to have covered off mm-hmm. um, where where this fits in in the history of Ella's film watching. I guess. Yeah. But this is a film that really matters to you quite a lot. I can tell. It matters because of just how out of place I felt listening Jerry Goldsmith Um, alright then so let's move on let's talk about the rounds (laughs) so the five rounds that we're going to be discussing this month are round one Lily and Jack round two the unicorns round three the dance waltz round four the villains and round five production and techniques so without further delay let's go straight to our first round Lily and Jack. For this round, I guess we we kind of have two tracks for each film for this because you get that light, beautiful, innocent music that you get particularly in the cottage scene right at the beginning and then both of them also go into a sort of a pop song kind of a lullaby vibe. Mm. Yeah. So who do you want to start with, uh, Jerry or Tangerine Dream? Um, I think I'll let you decide, actually, since you are the... Not novice, but like virgin of watching Ooh. these films. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with Jerry first, just because I don't know his was written first. Why not? So this is music that really kind of captures the essentially the innocence and beauty of of, of Jack and Lily at the beginning, and sort of as, as I understand it, and as sort of Ridley said as much. Lily is sort of beauty and innocence personified, but she's also very corruptible and temptable. Capricious. Capricious is the word that I would use. I agree. Whereas Jack is completely pure and and incorruptible. So the tracks that we are listening to for the Jerry Goldsmith version actually are combined into one track, and it is The Cottage slash My True Love's Eyes. 
so what do you think tristan it's beautiful it has that sort of sweeping fantastical lullaby quality it's sort of that sort of classic disney kind of a sound it does its job but i find it very generic and i really don't like the lullaby i found it very tedious Ah, Um, i found it even when she sings it when i saw it in the director's cut i was just like it was very unnecessary i didn't think it added anything to her character i know it's meant to represent um her and jack's love theme i just felt like Uh, i i I don't like it i don't like it i just felt it was very quite basic it just sounded very basic (laughs) okay i didn't think and i I, when i i don't mean in in terms of instrumentation you can like the arrangement is all very classical classically done but in terms of emotions as you mentioned it just it didn't exude anything yeah it didn't it was just very it left me cold and it just felt very it reminded me a lot of hook for some reason a lot of the score reminded me a lot of hook for some reason i don't know why yeah so i completely agree it it, because it 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 does it sounds a bit john williams like at times and at other times kind of almost worse it sounds very sort of old hollywood it has that sort of 1940s 50s sort of snow white kind of super classical still actually in the romantic period kind of sound um Mm -hmm. which isn't quite right the, the lullaby itself, I, I have really mixed feelings about because I do completely agree that her singing is sort of simultaneously not. Poor. Yeah, it's well, it, but it's like it's not good enough to sound professional. But if it's like when you have a like a character in a movie who sings and they all of a sudden they they sound like a professional singer, that can be jarring in itself because you're like, but why why would this princess sound like a modern pop star? <laughs> Um, but at the same time, it didn't sound natural enough to feel real. So I, I don't quite get why that is the case. But it just—I agree—it doesn't—it doesn't feel true. It was to probably the, world. the melody. It quite feel right. Maybe I think it's—I think it's the melody that just felt because there's so many. It didn't feel Celtic enough. I think it didn't feel period enough for me for some reason. So that's interesting because the song itself does remind me of a Celtic lullaby. <laughs> Oh, really? Specifically, it reminds me of Swogan, which I'll just play a little bit for you here. Again, if she sang it in that sort of in that tone mm. and in r- similar notes, then yes. But because to me, it sounded like a basic version of that. 
Yeah, it's uh, you're right. It sounds like a very simplified version of that, which I can see why sort of rationally you would sit down and feel like, well, that's what you want, but it, it doesn't work. I, I completely agree with you that it doesn't work. I just... I sort of keep trying to come back to it and be like, well, why doesn't it work? You know, we, we want to be helpful to the people listening out there. <laughs> like, why does this not quite work? And I just, ca- I just can't work out why it doesn't. I know that it doesn't. I agree that it doesn't. But everything about what he's tried to do seems right. May, the only reason why I can think that it doesn't work for us now is because we've been so exposed to a variety of soundtracks that that for us sounds in some ways. I want, I want, dated is the wrong word. Mm. But it doesn't sound original. It doesn't sound captivating. It just sounds something that's. Uh, the only way I can describe it is just it just sounds very basic. That's mm-hmm. the only way I can say it. it. Just it doesn't heighten or elevate anything. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is definitely one thing to sort of just mention now because we might as well. Of there have been so many fantasy movies since this film but not that many before this film outside of the various Disney animations. So I think part of our reactions to this film is that the language of this type of movie has changed quite a lot since then. Totally. Uh, I mean, obviously you have to bear in mind when a film came out, it was at that golden age of 80s fantasy films mm. where Never Ending Story, Dark Crystal, The Labyrinth were all had mm-hmm. come out at least like within a, a year of each other. Yeah. And their scores weren't very orchestral. No, if at all. Like, yeah. For instance, like The Never Ending Story, like the music was, do you know who Giorgio Moroder is? I do not. Um, do you know the song I Feel Love with Donna Summer? Um, I, I probably would know it if I heard it, but the name doesn't ring a bell. It's this one. Okay. He composed the never-ending story mm-hmm. soundtrack. Yep. So, and obviously Lambeth was composed by David Bowie, yeah. so... And Dark Crystal uh, had a very electronic score that I can remember. Mm. And I just wanted to ask, do you know what film came out in 1982? E.T. No. Well, it did. Blade, Blade, Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, no, yeah, I'm sure E.T. did come out, but that's yeah. not the film yeah, that's that not, I was that's trying, trying you to about. guess. <laughs> In re- if we're talking about electronic music and films, yes. Um, but yeah, so Blade Runner came out. I wonder and if I Ridley think... Scott knew about that. Would you? Well, he directed exactly. it. <laughs> I jest. I jest. <laughs> so I think Bangela's soundtrack and style pretty much influenced the whole decade's approach to fantasy scoring. Mm. You know, the use of electronic music and synths and all that sort of atmospheric sounds. So, hence now moving on to. The Tangerine Dream version. These two tracks um, both kind of emulate their surroundings or where Lily and Jack find themselves, but also um, their theme. It's Love by the Sun, sung by John Anderson, who's the lead vocalist from Yes, and this track called Cottage. So we'll start off by listening to the track Cottage by Tangerine Dream. Thank you. 
I like this. It has. It reminds me of a Clockworks Orange. Okay. Soundtrack for some reason. <laughs> it's only. It, well, I never would have thought that, but okay, okay. No, no, but I'm just thinking because some reason it just came to my head. I don't know why, but having mm. listened to it just now, the brain can do funny things. Yes. <laughs> and how it kind of triggered, like certain sounds can trigger memories for you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think it it has its elements of you know using the sort of Celtic melodies and harmonies and with the pad underlay underneath which mm-hmm. is what the pads underneath actually reminded me of um, a clockwork okay era. okay it's very strong on atmosphere yes i think it's a very because of the pads and the sort of arpeggiated harpsichord uh, sound it, i don't think it tries and connects so much with the themes or emotions of the movie although it does i'm not saying it doesn't but i i don't think it cares so much about that but what it does is it's heavy on atmosphere Mm. And just providing a sort of otherworldly sense to the movie. And I think that works. Yeah, and creating that sort of dreamlike essence to it. Mm -hmm. Because the way that Tangerine Dream kind of talked about their way of scoring is they, they let the dialogue do the work in terms of conveying the emotions of the character and what mm-hmm. the scene is meant to be for well, them that's not it's a good idea of... letting the dialogue do any of the work in this movie <laughs> i know yeah but because obviously they've scored many other films um pre previous right. to legend as well so that's their way of working and that they just basically create the atmosphere and the environment for the score and the film yeah yeah i mean i i, I I think it, it did its job. It kind of it made it a little bit quite fun as well. You know, when you see Lily, you know, bouncing around down the hill, mm-hmm. and she meets Nell. There's more mischievous element to it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And there's more innocence, which but is what they need though. to sell at this point yeah. of the movie. Yeah, which is funny though because the orchestral piece, you would think that it would hit those points as well, but I just I don't understand why it, I. I yeah, it should work, but it, it doesn't. Maybe it was a little bit too childish. I think maybe the orchestral version made it a little bit too... Ba- exactly. Word babyish is probably, again, the wrong word, but it just made it far too childlike, whereas this soundtrack, more teenager element yeah. to it. A little bit, yeah. slightly a little bit mature, but still young enough for it to be magical. Yeah. You know, it's just so it's on that cusp of between before you become an adult, um, whereby you're no longer a child, but you're not an adult just mm-hmm. yet. So I think it captures that point. I completely agree. I think you're right. And sort of just going back to the, the Jerry a bit, I th- it's that difference between what he's done, which is that very Snow White, Cinderella, Disney sound, and the not that different, but slightly different sound of, say, Harry Potter, which is more atmospheric and is more... It's, it's richer and a bit darker and things like that and therefore more atmospheric and that's that distinction between the two. You could definitely have scored this scene very successfully orchestrally but it, it just didn't seem to work the way that he went with it. But in The Tangerine Dream, because I, because I think it focuses on atmosphere, which is what the film does well because all those set design elements, the cinematography, all of the costuming, the glitter, all of those things that you described that are the strengths of this movie, they are all atmosphere-related elements, not not story. It's not an intricate, complicated, complex, subtle story. It is a simple story set in a beautiful world, and this soundtrack matches the world and therefore plays to the strengths of the movie rather than trying to fix weaknesses, and I think that works. I agree. So shall we move quickly on to Love by the Sun? Let 
Love by the Sun apparently right at the end has a, has a segment of Lily and Jack's actual theme. that okay. you don't actually hear um, much throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I think because initially that the ending of Love by the Sun was meant to have an epilogue at the end of the film to kind of sh- to talk about what happened after they conquered darkness. But obviously, in, probably due to time restrictions, it didn't end up being filmed or something. So yeah. you are kind of left with that sort of trail okay. of that theme. So I would say that the ending is meant to be Lily and Jack's theme, love theme. Right. Um, but just even overall, the love by the sun is very emotionally driven. I mean, I mean, the, the song is very cheesy. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's very cheesy. Yeah, I don't like this song, to be honest. It... <laughs> but for me, it worked better at the end of the film uh, than what Jerry Goldsmith did. I disagree. I disagree. Really? Yeah. Oh, well. I do. It's because it is so cheesy and it breaks. Even even though, obviously, with the Tangerine Dream version, it has been a very electronic score all the way along, this all of a sudden pushes into pop. Like, it has been very prog electronica, and now it's very poppy, and it just it's jarring. It pulls you out. I, I really dislike it. And while I'm not the biggest fan of uh, My True Love's Eyes, particularly when it comes in as the full song, at least it had been it had been so integrated into the into the soundtrack so far because we've heard the mm. both her singing it and then it's used in fragments all the way through the movie. And I mean that's kind of the advantage that Jerry has of that he was obviously writing it as the movie was being made, so you could have things like Mia sing the song like yeah on camera, which Tangerine Dream didn't have the had the advantage of, but. I think at least it's integrated. I don't like either much, but at least it's There's integrated. There's a format to it. There's yeah. definitely like Jerry Goldsmith followed a format where you introduce a little theme by the character yeah. and then you kind of you reintroduce it along the film. Yeah, and the final song sounds like it's part of the movie, whereas this does. And I guess in a world where David Bowie is making um, film soundtracks, it wasn't necessarily as controversial to have a song just like suddenly appear in a in a movie like that, but. I don't mm. like it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, bear in mind, they only they did have three weeks to compose this, okay? I agree, yeah. So you got to give them a little bit of leeway. Yeah, but sure. But I don't know. For me, it just it gave it more of an identity in a weird way. Like, I know it's cheese, but... <laughs> but I don't know. It just... Maybe it's, again, maybe it's because I've been... I've watched it when, ever since I was a child, so it's kind of ingrained into my brain. And I just... I'm... I, 
I'm, it's hard. I'm brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. All right, all right. So, winners. I am going to let you go first. Uh, well, I'm going to go for Tangerine Dream. Nostalgia. Yeah, I, I am as well. And it is because it is so much more atmospheric than, than Jerry's version. Right, because you're going more for because of the cottage soundtrack rather than Love by the Sun. If it was, it right? was, if it was purely based on Love by the Sun, I would be going Jerry, you know, every day and twice on Sunday. But, <laughs> be, but because it is the combination of how Lily and Jack are scored, I am going to go with Tangerine Dream. All right, round two. Unicorns. So, unicorns. Magical beasts. Yes, I did. Actually, when starting this movie, did not realise that unicorns were going to feature so strongly. Uh, <laughs> well, they're the epitome of goodness and uh, fantastical and they're very rare. Apparently so, yeah. Unicorns, symbol of light and wonder. And I, I guess they're, they're, yeah, they're very much meant to be sort of some of the more dramatic moments of the film. So the music that we're going to be listening to is from early in the movie when... Jack shows Lily to the the glade where the unicorns come and meet and then sort of Lily has her Eve in the Garden of Eden moment where she decides Mm -hmm. she simply must go off and touch one and that that sets everything horribly in motion. Although, I mean, the whole narrative of this of it being her fault and yet it's only that they're being hunted by the goblins at that exact moment that, that caused it. I mean, technically, it's actually the goblins. I think it's more than technically. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. But the way it's shot, everybody thinks it's Lily's fault. But if you look at shot by shot in detail, it is clearly the goblins' fault because as soon as it shoots the arrow, like the poison arrow, that's the thing that spooks the unicorn and it runs off. But it's meant. But Lily thinks it's her. That it's her. I, I, yeah, I don't quite understand how the narrative stays as being her fault when it's clearly the, the goblins. But anyway. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, you know, everything's a woman's fault, clearly. Uh, apparently so. I, I think we need to go back and um, sort of free Lily, as it were, for this one because it's it's not her fault, guys. It's not her fault. I totally agree. It's not her fault. Come on. And the track we're listening to from Jerry Goldsmith is called, well, we're probably only listening to part of the track because this track's about seven and a half minutes long, but it's called The Unicorns.
So again, it's it's beautiful sort of fantasy music and lush, lush. sweeping, lovely, and it the the little turns for the goblins are, I think are very effective. Like the, the that goblin theme coming oh, in. Oh, I hated. Oh, that. really? No, no, no. I hated that. The thing is, that's the only thing of that the whole scene really threw me off. The reveal of mm. the unicorns overall felt very lost to me with Jerry Goldsmith and. And when it breaks in the middle with the goblins theme coming in, it just, it really threw me off. I didn't like that. Interesting. Because this is the moment where I'm meant to be absorbing this majestic creatures in front of you and you're meant to be almost like entranced by them. And then you see, I know it's, I almost felt like they shouldn't have been pinpointed of their presence through the theme. You know, I felt like the fact that the music highlighted their presence it it broke my trance interesting. As, you know, as a way of saying for me so i didn't like yeah, that yeah i do like that it acknowledges it um that's well it almost made me feel like it was mickey mousing a little bit yeah i don't have a problem with that in this context i don't yeah it, it that's interesting that that that's the way that that's the way you see I, it's entirely valid i'm not in any way disputing it it's just Okay, that's a completely different way of, of going about seeing it. Stylistically, it goes in a lot of different directions. It's got this sort of like Copeland ballet kind of sound at times. It sometimes has a bit of a, like a show tune quality to it as well, like a sort of like a Broadway West End show kind of a sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely wouldn't use this sort of music now for a fantasy movie. It's very kind of like busy. And again, it's it's high on kind of tracking what's happening in the scene build little themes around the place but it doesn't do very well in terms of atmosphere and i think that's what you were after you wanted something that just gave you beauty for the you know like a majesty and awe beauty of the unicorns and then like a ratcheting up tension is that is that right is that kind of what you you felt you wanted from the scene kind of but more towards the end not right bang in the middle when you've uh, just revealed the unicorns, the unicorns. And you want to enjoy that moment more. yeah i wanted the tension build up from when they were setting up when they were ready when they were putting the dart into the poison and everything mm-hmm. but not right as you shown the unicorns it was mm-hmm. too early for me it's funny how you say yes it's very there was a lot of things going on and for me that was an issue because i couldn't hold on to a melody that i agree yeah that was that was um related and attached itself to the unicorns Mm -hmm. because you know there's the unicorns they come back again later on in the film when the the one that's horn has been cut off yeah jack speaks to the last um unicorn where the unicorn tells him that you you must get the fight the horn and to resurrect my other half and everything and that i didn't hear the theme of that scene yeah there it's not it's not great in continuing that theme i agree it's it is strange in that it's like he's trying to establish themes but he doesn't seem to really establish themes it is it's messy and i yeah don't get me wrong i don't like the fact that it jumps around so much i would have also preferred that it it stick with something like a, a clean beautiful this is the magic of the unicorn kind well, of Well, it almost didn't give the unicorn's character. It didn't yeah. bring them to life. It just made them feel like, oh, they're just animals. Yeah, the, yeah, in their, In their natural habitat. And, and this it, is like, it's almost like, you know, like a uh, like a planet Earth type scene or like here's an underscore of them, 
you know, mm. coming out, splashing around in this in the yeah. in the waters and stuff. You know, I think Planet Earth would have done a better job of, of giving for, them their majesty. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but do you know what I mean? It just no, felt like nature documentary mm-hmm. underscore as opposed to actually a reveal of these magical things. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Oh, the one the one last thing I'll say just before we move on to Tangerine Dreams, it really doesn't gel with their whale sounds. I mean, no. I'm not 100% convinced by the whale sounds as the sound of the um, unicorns to start with, although f- if my memory serves me correctly, we were obsessed with whale sounds in the 80s, so maybe that has to be taken in context a bit. But it mm. really doesn't gel with the classical music. It just, the, the two just, they feel like they're fighting with each other sonically. Yeah. That's the last thing I want to say. It's just that it's a mess. So, Tangerine Dream, the track, which is Unicorn Theme, original, original title, guys. It's very 80s. It's, yeah. It's, it is so 80s, but it's good 80s. No, I agree. I agree. In fact, this is one probably one of the nicer synth uh, soundtrack tracks I've ever heard in that it, it manages to not feel particularly synthy. It just feels right. It feels epic. And even though it's, it's still quite delicate and serene, mm-hmm. and the instrumentation is quite minimal, Mm-hmm. But that's what I remember as a child, or when I first see the unicorns, and with that music, I really felt a sense of majestic and like, wow, these are magical beings that are need to be treasured. Everything that it's meant to represent of something that shouldn't be touched but observed and enjoyed from a distance, I think the music conveyed that very well for me. I agree. It's very ethereal. It is. It's beautiful. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also really like how after the unicorn shot or she touches the unicorn, whichever you want to blame it on, but we are firmly on the it's because of the goblins on on this mm-hmm. show. I love how it gets really aggressive straight away. So it's like, oh, you know, the, the order has been broken. I love that. It, it the, that transition is really really well done. I think that it's going to be almost not much point us to uh, asking each other who's won this one. Is there anything more you want to wax lyrical on about this particular track before we move on to the next one? Because I think we're both quite obviously to everybody listening going to be falling along the side of Tangerine Dream for this one. Yeah. I mean, what's more there to say? It's good. It's a great track. It's a great theme for the unicorns. You know, it does its job. It ticks all the boxes. It does. And the Jerry Goldsmith one just... it. Well, Pulse again, flat. yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot about it that you're like, eh, this should work, doesn't. So round three, The Waltz. The Waltz 
is the scene where we see Lily being captured and being taken to the darkness's lair mm. and she's in the main sort of banquet room and she's beside herself and she is being seduced by you know a huge chest of glittering magical jewels, jewels. Mm -hmm. and then you have this beautiful figure this demon or creature all in black and that's i tell you if i was going on halloween i would be yeah. wearing that costume totally yeah. i think it's just it's, it's oh, a good costume Absolutely. it's a great costume i'm very cool very gothic mm -hmm. for me that scene growing up was very iconic very memorable and again for me the music played a major part to it and you know the scene that it obviously reminds me of uh mm -hmm. now at the beginning of black swan oh oh yeah where she's dancing with the black swan and then she becomes the black swan like they sort of intertwine and twist and turn and whatever and then and then she becomes the black swan it's yeah. very similar kind of a feel um and it's it's essentially the same scene in many respects. It's sort of this temptation to the dark side and gets caught up in the moment until all of a sudden she realises she's there. And so the first track we're going to be listening to is the Jerry Goldsmith and it's called The Dress Waltz. So Tristan, what did you think? So I like this one. I think it is a fantastic fit for a sort of fantastical waltz scene. It's got it's got all the bits you need. It's beautiful and scary at the same time. It has this sort of descent into darkness quality to it. I I, I like it. It's it's it has a um, it reminds me a lot, and I think maybe the temp may have been from Stravinsky's Firebird because it's got quite a lot of that to it, but I, I think that's that's absolutely perfect for it. And it's got that genuine genuine waltz quality, which in the huge sort of evil ball, um, ballroom or banquet room, banquet hall, it just, it just fits. And then you've got that sort of very modern omen type choir, the sort of the, the falling choir. I think this is the, the, probably the one time in which Jerry's score gets very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Ridley felt that this is Jerry at his best. He he loves he talks about how he loves working with with Jerry because he both understands classical and modern 
sounds because you've got that very modernist choir kind of sound. I think there may even be some electronic elements in here, but at its heart it has that very, like, real, legit, classical, well, romantic-era waltz Mm -hmm. to it. I don't like it. (laughs) I suspect it as much. (laughs) (laughs) I, I found it far too bombastic. Oh, I found it too much. And like, yes, I completely agree. The choirs reminded me of the omen as well. Yeah, you can't not, I don't think. Yeah. And um, it's weird. It didn't generate for me anything near the, the, the tension or the subtle dreadness of the Tangerine Dreams version. How about you go on to talk about the Tangerine Dream version then? That's my case for the Jerry version. I think we've agreed that that's the way I'm going to fall. Okay, okay, all right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, okay. So this is the Tangerine version, which is called The Dance. Sell me, sell me. Okay. What do you got? Well, <laughs> for me, for me, the music fits better with the mise en scene, the environment, the set, and everything. It's very dark. It's gothic, and it has a very fairground theme to it. And I found it far more seductive as a as a theme and as a music, particularly when the creature reaches out to Lily twice. There's an element like this is the bit I'm talking, I'm referring to. Yeah, so for me, it was those moments that it felt like it's almost like the creature is asking her the question, like, "Will you join mm. us? Like, will you join us?" It's like being the and, voice of the of the creature. Yeah, and I, I, and and also in a way, the melody and the harmony just sound reminded me. It had an element of like a Russian folk to it, okay. which probably resonated a little bit more to me. But um. Yeah, it just it sounded more creepy and more macabre, and it was just quite. It had a nice sort of demented music box quality to it. It does, and it the was very carnival subtle. demented music box for sure. Yeah, but it was subtle. Like it was, it didn't develop to crescendo into being getting louder with more instruments, with more you know drums and going as the Jerry Goldsmith's 
went it went far too loud and far too bombastic mm. um, for me I just felt like the subtleness and the lightness to it kind of maintained this I guess her loss of innocence yeah I think so I think that was part of the problem for me mm. in that bec- because in this scene so if in this scene she sort of did that and then embraced the dress and then actually was evil I think I'd be very much for this but because she sort of embraces the sort of takes the dress and he sort of has the temptation but then basically rejects darkness for the next 20 minutes mm-hmm. um she like you know toys with him and sort of turns him away it does it doesn't quite work as much because it's like it, the the consequences don't feel right for the way that this music has set it up oh uh, well i kind of disagree for me mm. the jerry goldsmith felt like she was it was so overwhelming that there didn't seem to be any thoughts or Lily's thoughts behind it. Oh, that's what I like about it because it, uh, for me that sort of captures this idea of her sort of being tempted and then just being sort of like swept up in the moment and then and suddenly realising, yeah, and then suddenly being there and then getting to the end and being like, oh, oh, well, what's happened? This isn't quite right. Whereas I feel like Tangerine Dream, it, I agree with what I agree with everything you're saying in terms of it's like it's, it's tempting, seducing, all of those things, but then she gets to the end and it's like, oh, but I'm, but I'm not evil. And like, but it, it, it no, just but doesn't. No, but she considers it. Yeah, I guess so. It's, yeah, she it does consider it. It's only the, the that point is only broken when darkness reveals it. It's like he ruined it for himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he could have just stayed behind the curtain his for game another is like ten strong. more minutes, yeah. she would have been there. Yeah. Okay? But nope, he had to put his foot in, <laughs> his arms out, and be like, "Hey, welcome <laughs> to the dark side." <laughs> it's gone. It's gone too soon. He's gone too Yeah, soon. he just didn't pick his moment, right? So Premature interjection, I'm going to call that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, winners then. <laughs> I think I don't know how we're going to go. <laughs> well, yeah, for me it's the Tangerine Dream one. For, for me it's Jerry. For me the Tangerine Dream, it just it sounds, it just sounds synthy and fake. The twisted carnival-like quality to it, like it works, it's nice, but it that doesn't feel like this scene. Like mm-hmm. this scene is in a beautiful like banquet hall or grand banquet. Okay, it's not beautiful; it's black dark. and gothic yeah. and dark. But it is a big grand banquet hall, and so the like the orchestral um, waltz for me it fits that space. It fits perfect. Whereas. It's funny, the, but can I? I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but you know why? It's only because in that edit, there's more scenes of them dancing around the banquet, whereas in the theatrical version, they don't get to reprance around the banquet hall. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that's no? I'll just add that there because yeah, for sure, if you have that scene, I think those extra little scenes and the Tangerine Dream didn't deliver. For mm. sure, yeah, it would fall flat. But because it's it got was, a different cut, so it it, it yeah. fits what they've got. It, it's exactly. more about the the actual emotional uh, temptation between the the two characters rather than the dancing in the space. Mm. So what you're saying? Okay, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take that on board, but I'll still go with Jerry. That's fine. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. I think we're going to have to. And this is definitely one that if anyone wants to uh, write in and let us know what they think, this is a very central scene to this movie. Would, mm-hmm. would you agree it's one of the scenes that you most remembered from, totally. from the movie? 
Because I remember when we were first talking about sort of what rounds I might want to talk about, the, uh, this specific dance is like the first one. Oh, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about this dance because for me that was like a no-brainer. It's um, just to kind of see how both different scores, mm. what they try to say, yeah. you know. Fair enough. So let's move on to round four, villains. So we'll start off with Jerry once again and the track we're going to be listening to here is called darkness fails which doesn't feel like it should be the title of it of the track for the villains you'd think it would be like just the villains at the end when they fail <laughs> but um it this very much is the track that's used essentially to underscore the goblins and darkness throughout the film so here it is I do like this piece of music, funny enough. Um, and this Again, it's track. more atmospheric. His more yeah. atmospheric writing works better. Yeah. But this is where the dramatics work. And mm -hmm. it's with this energy and it's very, it's immense gravitas. You know, it's mm -hmm. so out there. and But it's so fitting for the darkness as, as a character. Yeah. 
that it does elevate him you know it, it kind of creates a, a clear visual of who he's meant to be he's not somebody to mess with yeah you know Absolutely. and so i agree i mean i i do like this piece of music actually i think this is the one where i actually enjoy as a listener i enjoyed listening to it the way how the music mm-hmm. develops and it's it has its highs and lows and there's a lot of tension to it yes and also i think a lot of the parts of fragments of the music it fitted very well with the action scenes like the fight between mm-hmm. jack and darkness which i think is something that Tangerine Dreams soundtrack lacked and was yeah. very poor at. Like they didn't score the action scenes very well. No, they um, just provide atmosphere on which stuff happens, which in that yeah. scene didn't didn't gel. Yeah. No. And so here obviously is where Jerry Goldsmith shined, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do I I like it. I like it a lot. Agreed. I I'm exactly the same. It's it's interesting it's dark suspenseful there's lots of sort of sustained tension which is great for all of those moments that the film needs it uh yeah i think it's probably the strongest music that jerry wrote i mean the waltz is a a set piece in itself um but this and that's a very musical scene so in some respects a scene like that's actually easier for a composer to write for because there's a a natural music to it and as long as you get the feel right it's kind of there but this is sort of the like in that kind of like Hans Zimmer writer suite that's going to work for the film of set set the characters and the the moods of everything. I think he gets mm-hmm. it with this with this track absolutely. I my one thing against it is that maybe the music is a little bit too interesting for the film. So it I gets d- lost by the visuals. You don't yeah. get to appreciate it as much. Yeah, and it's again, it's like that little bit too busy. It's it's sort of throwing too many ideas in there when maybe the film doesn't need so many ideas, and mm. that as a result, I feel like at times it it maybe feels a little bit more sci-fi than fantasy. Okay. Um, but in general, yeah, I completely agree. It's it it works and it's 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 cool. Uh, so I think that's probably enough for that. Shall we move on to Tangerine Dream and their track, Darkness? So I think unlike the Jerry Goldsmith track, which very much is sort of uh, like a theme that underscores the goblins and darkness throughout the movie, I'm pretty sure this particular track really only just underscores that tense conversation between Lily and and the darkness where they're each kind of trying to manipulate, tempt each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a cracking scene, to be honest. Yeah. It works, but I wouldn't necessarily want to give my backing for it. 
Okay. Because there's an element, it sounds quite gamey to me. Okay. Yeah, it definitely, um, it's over the top. What you what you call gamey, I'm sort of giving it a sort of as a, like almost like a prog metal sort of sensibility. There's still an element of dread. Yep. And horror elements to it. Definitely. Because obviously the first start of the track comes in when the darkness reveals himself coming through the mirror and then mm. it continues on as you say when they're having the the discussion and they're trying to manipulate each other she's yep. saying i'm not gonna uh, like you want me to sit i'd rather stand and yep. he's like fine stand and he goes oh yeah. ballistic and <laughs> yeah. it's just like uh i mean it's not bad but it's it's a filler yeah it is underscore it's purely underscore and it doesn't really take the film forward much and I'm not sure. If, I actually don't, I don't think this scene is even underscored at all in the Jerry Goldsmith director's cut. And it's fine because there's so, I think, almost like probably like the biggest fault of the of this Tangerine Dream soundtrack. And it's not Tangerine Dream's fault in, in this scene specifically. It's the editor's fault of anything that distracts from Tim Curry's voice should not be there. No, <laughs> like, it's no as I totally as that. agree. Yeah. Because his voice is so dark and beautiful and easy to understand and but like there's a like a dark elegance to it oh he's like his voice is absolutely fantastic Uh, but whilst also very camp i mean this is the guy who became famous for frankenfurter in rocky horror picture show so i mean in in many respects it's it's very uncamp by his (laughs) by on, on the spectrum of tim curry performances but but yeah, there was a really interesting um, phrase he says, dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Oh, yeah. I love that. This, yeah, it's the one time that the dialogue, I think I think the dialogue for this scene is better and it is certainly, maybe or maybe it just, it works so much better when he's saying it. But yeah, it's a scene that didn't need underscore and it, doesn't help it doesn't sell itself of oh well clearly you need it either it doesn't do enough to sort of demand his presence i i totally agree with you in that this is the one of the downsides of the tangerine dream soundtrack overall is that it kind of lacks pauses where it needs to be allowing for the dialogue or for the scene or the characters to kind of breathe and just let them do their job um to elevate any sort of emotion or tell the story you know it just felt like you know here's their music it's very similar to what stranger themes soundtrack tends to kind of do it is definitely a pitfall that electronic scores can go down i think it's mm. it's a it's a trap it's an easy trap whereas i think for a more classical jerry goldsmith style, style composer there's a lot more uh, acceptance of I, I cut out here and I and I change mood, which I, I think has probably been lost from orchestral composers when you start to get into the Hans Zimmer end of the spectrum as well. Mm, yeah, because it's been it's now has been replaced by drones. Yeah, exactly. But this traditional orchestral style, yeah, that ability to turn on a dime, which maybe you didn't like back when we were talking about the unicorn scene turning and having acknowledging the goblins and then coming back and stuff. When it comes to working with dialogue, works. Well, then, in terms of overall winner... I'm going to go with Jerry for this one. I'm going to go with Jerry just because I did enjoy listening to Darkness Falls. You know, I felt really I was on a journey and really felt like I was being... I felt like I was facing Darkness himself, listening to yeah, it. Yeah, it's one of those... I agree. It's one of those fun... Tra- it's that, that is one of those fun tracks where, like, listening to it outside of a movie, you feel like you're mm, back in the movie. Totally. Which is 
interesting that you feel that when it's not the soundtrack of the movie that you saw. So so that's that's quite a quite a feat on his part. So yeah. Okay, so round five, we're going to be talking about production techniques. So we're just basically going to be talking about the overall soundtrack, you know, what potentially they used, what sort of techniques. It's funny, obviously, Tangerine Dream was all purely electronic. They used a sense of a synthesizer as well as pan pipes. Yeah, that fake shakuhachi. Yeah, and there's like a list of specific synthesizers that they used. Um, a lot of people may not know them, but I, I think it will be quite interesting to add them in the show notes um, for yeah. people to be able to check them out and kind of do a little bit of research or homework um, just to kind of learn about these synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, particularly for those who want to go and and advance their knowledge of synthesizers. For um, sure. However, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, is, he does actually use a large-scale orchestra, but he does also use synths and a lot of a choral hybrid. Yeah, there's a lot of electronics in his score. Yeah, which he blends it with a lot of like pitch bend techniques. Mm-hmm. So Tangerine Dream, like I found that the downside of the soundtrack was that the action scenes and some of the more quieter scenes Yeah weren't very scored well and it wasn't driven as well it's funny i really wish that ridley scott would have actually said you know what i'm let's keep some of jerry goldsmith mm-hmm. score some some parts of it yeah and then introduce and commission tangerine dream Can, why don't we just mix some of their tracks together and some of the things because i do really feel that tangerine dream captured the more captivating scenes the more important scenes of the film like the unicorns like the relationship between lily and jack yeah, yeah. um like the, the for, well, for me the the waltz <laughs> dance oh, um, you're, you're still going on that are you? <laughs> yeah but jerry goldsmith did well with scoring the more quieter moments the filler sides mm-hmm. like you know um the moments when they're like going through the forest and yep. you know it's those parts that i think Tangerine Jim didn't do so well. They just kind of let the music flow. Yeah, like you know, yeah. when you just hold on to the note or the note or whatever, and you just kind of let it drag on. Yeah, I agree with you. The like the electronic approach, it has the weaknesses there, but the 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 benefits are that it's it's all atmosphere. And I think the the so I'm just going to go out there and sort of go a little bit like film schooly here for for a brief second. I think it's because it has a real sort of German expressionism kind of a feel. It's like those old like cabinet Dr. Caligari things. We talked about all this stuff back when we were doing the Batman. Those movies were very much they're all about creating a mood rather than so much the story. Uh, mood mood and atmosphere it's over setting story. the world basically. Yeah, and that's what they've done. That that's what their music done. It's all about setting that. It doesn't tie to the moment to moment actions so much, although that transition on the unicorn I spoke about earlier where it suddenly goes dark is is super cool. But it, it sets it sets the mood and Ultimately, this film, it is more of that expressionist tradition. I mean, he's gone for that storybook look. It is all very grand and colourful. It. I think this type of movie we have, we we now understand through that Tim Burton lens, because this is the kind of story that Tim Burton makes, and mm-hmm. we and we now have that sound from from him, and they're they're onto the right approach. If you want a lot of atmosphere and less less emotion that goes with the over-the-top cinematography i guess is the is the headline statement there 
Okay. And I think I feel like they made Tangerine Dream while they had to score very quickly. Maybe had a bit of advantage in that the film was basically done by the time mm. they came in. So I think they were looking at what the film was and then correctly scored to that. Whereas I've got a feeling that Jerry, and I, I get this also from having listened to like the, the commentary from Ridley, that Jerry is trying to do what Ridley was trying to do. And I don't think Ridley quite got to where he wanted to be. I think Ridley wanted to, to be a lot more sophisticated and dark and very much about the balance of good ver- of, of light, not even good versus evil, but light versus dark. Mm. Um, apparently Mia was meant to turn into a cat at one point. Um, so when she took the dress, she was apparently meant to turn into a cat and it was only when on recovering the ring that she would turn back into a human. It was meant to be like this whole oh, I'm other... glad that didn't go. I don't, I'm yeah. glad that didn't, that didn't become... Yeah, part of reality, the reality because that would have been that would have just ruined the film completely. Ridley was was very strongly about how the movie had to constantly skirt this line between sort of sweet and soft uh, kids movie, and yet having a sort of edge to it. Exactly, and so he felt that Jerry was doing a really good job of riding that line, which I can I can see where you sort of come from in terms of he's got all those omen sounds and things like that. Apparently the main criticism of Jerry the, and the reason why the executives took him off was partly that they thought the kids would appeal to or would uh, appreciate Tangerine Dream more. Yeah. But they thought that Jerry was too sweet. It, it, yeah. That's that's what I was saying right at the beginning for the first night. It just sounded a little bit too babyish. It mm. sounded a little bit too childlike. It was almost like, you know, when you're kind of almost patronising a little bit, like a child saying, oh, well, like, you know, this isn't meant to be a kid's... or aimed at kids so we're gonna give you more kids like music you know and it just felt a bit like well no why don't you give us something unique and something unusual for us to grab hold of give it a more of an identity rather than going by the basics or the traditional sounds to appeal to us so he kind of shot i feel yeah jerry kind of shot himself in the foot by going by the formula yeah i i think i think where he went wrong is that he he does what you kind of should do and he goes that sort of very well i think he goes for very sort of opera operatic romantic period sort of light motifs kind of approach which as we've seen in things like harry potter and uh lord of the rings but that is is great and fantastic for a, a fantasy movie but i don't think this movie has enough themes to do that with mm. and but then so i want to say that i want to say oh well he's just gone too orchestral and it hasn't quite worked because the movie is too simple for his thing but then i'm also like but if you look at this movie as like a classic storybook fairy story, you know, thing, as we would understand them, then Jack is the hero, right? Like, there's Jack and Jill, they're in love. Um, did you just say, just say Jack and Jill? I did just say Jack and Jill. <laughs> Jack and Lily, they're in love. Uh, Lily sort of maybe does something wrong. Well, everybody believes she does something wrong. She goes off, she becomes like the... The, the princess they have to rescue, etc. And, you know, Jack is the, the, the good hero who goes off and, and, and saves her. I can't think of any theme in Jerry's score, which is like, this is the Jack Hero theme. No. And if you were doing, if you were trying to do this in a traditional ballet, opera kind of approach where everyone has their theme, I mean, you know, 101, the, the, the hero gets a theme, if not multiple themes. So maybe he doesn't do that. But And I think all of those things are why maybe it leaves you cold. It feels like a score where they were trying things and never committed fully to any one idea. I think that's the problem. It doesn't commit ever. It just sort of it feels like it's constantly bouncing around between different ideas. And some of them are 
very, very well written. The the choir stuff is dark. On its own. Maybe if you listen to the soundtrack on its own, it's a fantastic piece of music that can be used as an underscoring for various people, people who are looking for different ideas for if they're looking for some for their dance performance piece. You know, it's a great um temp to use for that. But for the film, I agree. It it lacked themes. It lacked yeah. character themes. Identity. Yeah. yeah. As you said, identity. Yeah. It just doesn't Yeah, you don't really get a oh, this is this is it. And the closest thing it gets to a theme is definitely the um My True Love's Eyes, which you do feel it when it comes back, at least. So so there's that, but it's not enough. No, it's not enough. I mean, compared to as I said, you know, all those very significant scenes, you know, when the re- like even the disc- the talk between Jack and the unicorn, like I found the tangerine dream really. I felt really. I felt sadness, you know. Mm-hmm. I felt the sadness of that moment that, you know, all is lost unless Jack does something about it and rectifies the problem. I really felt that with the tangerine dream soundtrack, um, but I didn't with Jerry Goldsmith. He kind of just kind of like. It was too light. It just kind of like, it didn't go anywhere. It was hardly there, that score, where he should have elevated it. It should have been the most emotional, emotionally driven scene. But there was no magic to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, it was just, it was just there. Very basic, very flat. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can say that overall, I mean, Goldsmith's score is a very mature and very classic and it is at some points period appropriate. Mm. And compared to the Tangerine Dream, it's it's not it doesn't date the film. No. Whereas the Tangerine Dream film uh, soundtrack does date the film because it's so eighties. I I agree, but I almost don't care about that because the prosthetics and stuff date it so much anyway that it doesn't matter. But that's the kind of positives of Jerry Goldsmith's music, and that it's quite timeless. Yeah, but sort of what I'm saying is that with a film like ET. You can watch E.T. now and in Jurassic Park, say, and because the of the, the way the effects, they, they feel quite real, although E.T. himself as a puppet is a bit weird. But in general, you can almost kid yourself that they're a modern film because they have those timeless scores that, that will just always sit and be fine. And even like the st- various like Star Wars and stuff has that benefit as well. Of It just, you know, just feels contemporary. Mm. Whereas because of... That particular type of of effects and and prosthetics and costuming they do, it's so eighties. It's like it might you might as well have gone synth as well. Like just finish the job, and then becomes almost a genre piece. Because the moment Tim Curry comes through the mirror, you're like oh yeah, it's the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So winner. I'm gonna pick Tangerine Dream, despite of its weaknesses. You know, in that it yeah. wasn't able to. Um, score the action scenes properly or some certain scenes but it definitely it it did its job for the main scenes yeah you know I for agree. the key scenes that actually that is what makes this film iconic at the end of the day that resonates mm-hmm. with you and i think that's what a lot of reviewers and people of our generation have latched on for and kind of try and fight for to say that that is why the tender dream is better but yeah so for me that's tender dream what about you then? Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm with Tangerine Dream for literally exactly the same reasons. I will speak very briefly for the other side based on what I've seen in comments. So the people who fall on the side of the Jerry Goldsmith approach, and we've kind of indicated this all the way through, but it is largely that they feel that the 
Jerry Goldsmith matches the contours of the film more. Which, yeah. It's, it, again, it's exactly what we're saying. Tangerine Dreams gives you the big, bold moments. And Jerry kind of does the small stuff. But this is a film of big, bold moments. So I, mm. I think you've just got to go that way. I just, like I said, I just wish that they just merged together and they were, I wish the score would have been Tangerine Dream and Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. And so we come to our winner by a score of seven to three. I think it's going to make Ella very happy. Our winner is Tangerine Dream. Yay. I think this is going to make a lot of the 80s and 90s kids very, very happy. Yes. (laughs) That was interesting. I liked that one. It was an interesting one, although I expected us to fight more. It was really under that waltz uh, um, yeah. where, where we, we disagreed because, yeah, the rest, I think, were pretty clear, to be honest. I, well, it's funny, but still, I was quite surprised at the production technique. I thought that you would have gone for for Jerry Goldsmith. I thought you would have bought more in the classical yeah, camp. Yeah, no, I mean, so I'm convinced that you could do a very good score for this movie classically. But I'm not convinced that Jerry Goldsmith did. As much as I love Jerry Goldsmith and his approach to scoring generally, mm. I'm pretty sure that his approach is the one that I was taught. It comes down to that big thing of, of the big moments and the big, broad, atmospheric strokes. And particularly early on in a fantasy movie, you you need to be carried away into the world. Absolutely. I, I feel like that the first 10, 20 minutes of a fantasy movie, you need to you need to get swept up in it. You need to be like, oh wow, I'm in this place, there's fairies, there's, you know, giants. It's it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's phenomenal, and I'm just here and I'm enjoying it. And I think that is something that maybe filmmakers in general have gotten better at since then. I was also concerned that we would have had a big fight because I wasn't sure that I could be sold on an electronic score to to get me into this kind of a fantasy world because I see this as a very more traditional fantasy world than say the one of Never Ending Story, which has a sort of I, I don't know I, f- I always feel like Never Ending Story has an almost sci-fi quality to it, mm. whereas this is really trying to be traditional, you know, classic princess fairy tale. Yeah, um, very Disney princess. So I, I was concerned, but no, it works. It works. I'm very surprised. I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> We can continue doing shows together. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're still friends. So, Ella, what are we going to be testing our friendship over next month? (laughs) Well, next month, we're actually going to be delving into game music. It's something that we haven't... Yeah, no, right? It's been... And it's actually going to be our 12th episode as well. So, like, one year. One year. And within that year, we will have, in fact, delivered on what we promised of talking about games, TV and film. Exactly. So it's a great way to kind of end our 12 month of doing our episodes and kind of a great way to start the next year. So, yeah, the two soundtrack that we're going to be discussing would be The Legend of Zelda, composed by Koji Kondo. And his score is going to be up against the scores for the Final Fantasy games by Nobuo Matsu. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be an interesting exercise. We're going to have to very much break it down into a couple of sort of key themes because these are big series with like dozens of games in the same universe and things like that so we're, so we're gonna have to pick pick we and will choose definitely our... simplify it don't worry like we're yes. not going to be going through all every single score piece that they have piece. ever composed yeah because that will just i think this will be like a 10 hour episode 
And the reason why we're going to be talking about these two game soundtracks is also because in May, where are we going, Tristan? Yes, we're going to a concert of these scores at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Well, one of the scores, we're going to be going to see Final Fantasy score yes. live, played by the orchestra. So that's really exciting. I'm really excited about watching it. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's going to be to fantastic. It. And that's quite a trend these days of orchestras yeah. doing game soundtracks. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And that should be a lot of fun. And so that's why we're going to be talking about these soundtracks in advance. And let's hope, let's hope that we won't be going off to hear the music of our uh, freshly minted losers <laughs> when, when, we, when we go there in May. But otherwise, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. So mm. until next month, see ya. See ya. Legends can be